feel like just walking over there and taking some food off of somebody's plate. I'll tell you what. There's 50 bucks in it for you if you do it. What do you mean? You walk over to that table, you pick up an egg roll, you don't say anything. You eat it. Say thank you very much. Wipe your mouth. Walk away. I give you 50 bucks. What are they gonna do? They won't do anything. In fact, you'll be giving them a story to tell for the rest of their lives. 50 bucks? You'll give me 50 bucks? 50 bucks. That table over there, the three couples. Okay, I, I, I don't want to go over there and do it and then come back here and find out there was some little loophole like I didn't put mustard on it. <laughs> no, no tricks. Should I do it, George? For 50 bucks? I'll put my face in this soup and blow. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Seinfeld, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. This week we're here to review one of my favourite episodes of all time. It is The Chinese Restaurant. I am Dando. I am Guy. And yes, uh, this is an episode that both Dando and I liked. Tell you who didn't initially like it, NBC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the uh, network that aired Seinfeld didn't think The Chinese Restaurant was a very good idea. Well, hmm. Sometimes shows that uh, the people at the top don't always know what's best because, yes, this is a very, very good episode and a very Seinfeld episode. You Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree, Dando? It's, it sort of sums up Seinfeld in a lot of ways. It 100% does. This was the episode, without a doubt, that sold me on Seinfeld. I remember I was a late bloomer when it came to Seinfeld. It, was, it finished in 98 and I was still 10. Seinfeld isn't really a show for 10-year-olds. You know, It's more for an older audience. I didn't really get it. My parents didn't watch it, so it was very rarely on. Then I sort of found it when I was a teenager, and I started watching the first few seasons, and a couple of seasons, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's good. And then, I mean, I've enjoyed it, but then came the Chinese restaurant, and I'd been told by another friend, I'll oh, wait till you get to the Chinese restaurant. So I was sort of just waiting until I got to this episode, and I just remember loving it so much, because I just, I just really appreciated how it just broke away from the norm at the time of what was considered a typical sitcom episode. It was, it was basically uh, shot in like real time, uh, there was no sort of like different locations. It was all done in the one spot. And as you said, it really sums up Seinfeld because you could say nothing happens, although they still somehow to manage. They still somehow manage to have the characters all doing something and keep it interesting, despite the fact they're all staying in the one location. It's literally an episode waiting in line at the Chinese restaurant. But fuck me, it is just so funny, and it's just so. It felt so real and relatable because everyone can relate to having to wait in line for something. <laughs> Nobody likes waiting in line for things, particularly when you see other people skipping the queue. It's the worst thing ever. So I just thought this episode was brilliant. Yeah, I've got to, I have to agree with you on that point, Dando. I think if you take a look at a very sort of cursory glimpse at it and say, okay, well, they're sitting in the uh, lobby of a Chinese restaurant waiting for food and <laughs> just not getting it. Yeah, you go, oh, well, really? You can spin 25 minutes of comedy gold out of that? It's really just packed full of stuff, though. It's got 
three sort of, if not interesting storylines, then just interesting sort of character, I don't know, developments. You get to know a fair bit about George and Jerry and Elaine, I think, as a result of this. And there's also just a lot of plate spinning or a lot of balls in the air. There's various things going on that outside the restaurant as well that all add a bit of tension add a bit of texture uh yeah it's it's just it's a really well packed episode you know what i mean it's 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 well stuffed and if we say that yet despite the fact it's got no kramer in it and i got to the end of this and i was taking my notes and i went holy shit that's right kramer's not in this episode it didn't and it, what that's uh kudos to larry david and jerry Seinfeld who wrote this episode because at no point during this episode did i feel like Where's Kramer? It kept me interested and engaged enough for me to not even consider, oh, it's, it's, it's missing somebody. Because it never felt like there was no, nothing dragged in this. It was all really interesting. And it was not, there was nothing overly wacky. But I think that's what made this episode work so well is that I think if you brought in a really, really wacky kramer scenario, it would feel a little bit more unrealistic. Not saying that the Kramer character is bad, but this is meant to be the quintessential show about nothing episode. Mm. And that's exactly what they delivered. And I think if you had Kramer in here being Kramer, it might have taken away from that a little bit. I think in this scenario, knowing what we know about Kramer, he would be pulling something to get them a table or to get them some food or to make something happen. Yeah. He's sort of an agent of change uh, in the, or an agent of chaos in the usual sort of scenarios of, of Seinfeld. But here you've got the three characters who, I don't know, they make stuff happen, uh, sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident. But I think, yeah, Jerry and Elaine and George are more happy with uh, the status quo. They're more happy sort of keeping things on a level playing field or a level field even when things aren't going their way. And they sort of rail against it. They get angry about it, but they can't do anything about it or they won't do anything about it. Yeah, so I think bringing Kramer into this kind of situation, he'd be sort of getting in the guy's face and say, you said five, ten minutes, five, ten minutes ago. That f- five, ten minutes is brilliant. Man, seriously, James Hong as the Mater D, how great is he? Unbelievable. That man's an absolute legend. Uh, recently, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how old he is. I, I believe he's probably in his 90s by now. But he's certainly getting on a bit, and he finally got awarded a uh, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm, yeah, in the same class as Carrie Fisher, I think. Ah, okay. Then, well, you know, in all honesty, they should have given it to him the day that Big Trouble in Little China came out in 1986, in which um, uh, James Hong plays the villain Lo Pan. Fantastic villain. Fantastic performance by Hong. But he's been around forever and been in a bunch of stuff. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of the roles that people know him best for if they see him on the screen and anything it's like it's chinese restaurant guy it's five ten minutes guy yeah so no he's brilliant very very good but something else i wanted to say was uh, yeah despite the fact that there is no kramer i think what this episode demonstrates is that seinfeld is working with great parts you know how you say uh sometimes something is less than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. yeah kramer's just, sorry seinfeld has just got great parts all these characters work in this situation and you don't need all four interacting. You can have break off episodes where it's just uh, a couple of the characters or a few of the characters and you don't even need... This episode would be lesser. Not much, I don't think. It depends on what would happen. But it'd be lesser if it had like a B-plot. Like you cut away occasionally to... What's Kramer doing? Is he is he waiting for Chinese food back at the... Or is he the person that... Um, 
Jerry was going to go see Plan 9, but was he going to meet them in the cinema? And he's has his own sort of shenanigans while he's waiting outside the cinema or something. No, it would be less of an episode if you if you cut away to something else, if you cut away from this particular frustrating situation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, such a well-conceived and well-executed uh, piece of comedy, piece of sitcom comedy. That is a good one, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favourites. What was your favourite moment from the episode? <laughs> I loved uh, Jason Alexander's line delivery uh, when he's talking about this terrible, terrible situation he's in with, the, with Tatiana, where he has to choose. Well, he can't really choose. It's not much of a choice. He has to choose between love and, yes, the bodily function of love and another bodily function, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and he, um, he delivers a line, I have to give it to that I am in reality Batman. <laughs> just the I use just saw of the, the term, bat signal. Yes, just the use of the term, I am in reality Batman. <laughs> it's... it's it's just a great way to sort of say that sort of thing. So yeah, I love that. And the other thing that oh, the other thing that I hated so much that I loved it was the performance by actor Kate Benton as the woman who uh, uses the phone while George is supposedly waiting for it. He's been waiting for ages. We'll get to this in the episode, but he's been waiting to use the phone for ages. He thought he'd finally get his chance, and this woman comes in, picks it up, starts using it. George. Yeah, you know, tries to sort of speak to reason, but she says, "Well, if you were here first, you'd be holding the phone." <laughs> <gasps> what? What a hateful person! Oh, yeah. what a terrible individual! I wanted to reach into the screen and yank her away from that phone on, on George's <laughs> behalf. At least the other guy apologized. True, and that's another lovely little bit. We'll get, I think we'll talk about that during the episode because yes. This is just like a beautifully constructed piece of machinery. It's like a watch. Everything's <laughs> sort of work. Everything's working so nicely in in concert. And just that um, for that bit with the guy using the phone, and so sort of seemingly uh, dismissive of George's feelings, and for that to have the little button on it that it does. Oh, so brilliant! Yep. Yeah, so that they're my. Um, yeah, they're my favourite bits from the Chinese restaurant. What about you, Dando? What did you enjoy? I loved Julia's delivery of, where am I? Is this a dream? What in God's name <laughs> is going on here? <laughs> 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 We've all had that moment in our life where it's like, this can't be real. This, this like, Whatever the fuck is going on right now has to be a dream. This cannot be serious. And I just love the way she's <laughs> got her arms out. She's looking around. Where am I? What's going on? <laughs> I, I, just, I thought that was just brilliant. I love the the dare, the fifty dollar bet. That oh, to me yes. was the moment that really. I think that was the moment where I went, okay, now I'm a Seinfeld fan. I'll put my face <laughs> in his soup and blow. Fuck me, that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, <laughs> can't ride, can't ride. <laughs> what, what the fuck? Is, it's just so stupid. It's just so funny. But it's uh, in 2015. Apparently, there was a um, former writer of the show, Spike. Uh, Ferriston, I Ferriston, believe. Yeah, uh, Spike Ferriston uh, revealed that that's actually a, a callback. Now, I'm assuming you would know what this callback would be? I did read about this myself. I didn't get it when it um, okay when it happened on the show, but I did read about it a bit later. I was like, hmm, okay then. Yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Costanza, um, getting Cartwright confused with Costanza, was a subtle allusion to the classic Western show Bonanza. We all know Bonanza. I've never actually watched an episode of Bonanza, but everyone knows what Bonanza is. Dun, 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 bonanza. Yeah, <laughs> which rhymes with Costanza and the show's main character, 
uh, the characters are the Cartwright family. So apparently that's loosely a little bit of a subtle uh, reference there. Also in this episode, Jerry mentions that he has a sister, but we never hear from her again or of her. That's true. There was something I wanted to ask. I don't know if there was mm. a flaw in the uh, file that I was watching of, of, of Seinfeld. There's a bit where Jerry is sort of talking about the his relatives mm. and how it will lead back to him. There's a Is there a fade to black in it? Yeah, like, so that, 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 that was the, that's a joke. So uh, yeah, no, I think I, I, I figured it's either a joke or I've got a bad file where you know it, it sort of. Yeah, yeah the joke, the joke being that he was listing off all the people during the commercial break. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay right. Because the um the show's meant to sort of be in real time, so the the, the fact that it's gone to commercial break, but the characters are still existing during this commercial break talking. That's, what, uh, that's, right. that's the joke there, yeah. Just so there clever. There you go. Mm. Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. So trivia for the Chinese restaurant. I'm going to kick off. Go right ahead. What food does Jerry dare Elaine to take off the table for $50? Uh, it is an egg roll. Correct. Egg and roll, you- indeed. <laughs> And you've answered one of the questions that I was going to ask you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How much was the bet? <laughs> okay. For, yeah. Yes, for 50 bucks. But we'll, we'll, instead, I'll move on to another question, mm-hmm. if you like. What is it. the name of the Chinese restaurant? Oh, shit. You got me there. Fuck. I didn't. Mm. Oh, I should know that. I don't know it. What is it? You just see it briefly at the very start of the episode, mm. but the uh, marquee at the front says Hunan Fifth Avenue. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, I just was not paying attention. Well played, sir. My next question is, what's the name of the man, the VIP guest who gets straight to a table, and where does he live? <laughs> That's Mr. Cohen, lives on Park Avenue. He's a very nice man. <laughs> very nice man. <laughs> Despite all appearances the contrary. Yeah. <laughs> This hairy high pants who rocks up and is just cracking all these terrible jokes. <laughs> terrible guy. Um, I was, in fact, going to ask about Mr. Cohen for one of my uh, trivia questions. So let's move on to another one, shall we? What is Jerry's excuse to his uncle that he won't be able to join him that evening? Oh, so he doesn't tell him about the movie. Ah, does he, say, does he just say that he's sick? He says that he's sick, but in one particular part of his body. I don't know. What is it? He told his uncle he had a stomach ache. A stomach ache. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. My final question is, what is the Bermuda Triangle of phone calls, according to Jerry? Oh. He says, she's going to go and tell my mother or whatever, and then she's going to call this person, and it's like the phone calls go from here to here to here. It's like the Bermuda Triangle, he says. Oh, I missed that part, or I forgot that part has slipped my mind. Uh, tell, me, tell me. Tell me. New York to Long Island to Florida. Oh, okay. All right, I have one last question. All right, you. take it away, sir, and then we'll get into our review. No worries. George was nearly arrested for what? George was nearly arrested for what? In what scene does he discuss this? This is when uh, they are organising the $50 uh, dare for Elaine. Mm, no, shit. Ah, fuck. Well, you've got me this week. What, what, what's the answer? He says, I nearly got arrested for bribing an usher at the roller derby. That's right. Fuck, of course he did. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that is trivia for the Chinese restaurant. Stick around, guys. After this short break, we'll be back with our review. 
If you're a fan of everything we do here at Four Finger Discount, you can show your support by joining the family at patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount. Here you'll get ad-free early access to all of our shows, Zoom calls with Guy and myself, as well as bonus podcasts such as Tales of Futurama and Guy on Springfield, where we go back and revisit classic episodes from the first 10 seasons. So go ahead and join the family today at patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount. The original air date of the Chinese restaurant was May 23rd, 1991, written by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld and directed by Tom Sharonis, who directed every episode of the second season. The episode nice work, kicks, Tom. Yes, well played, Tom. The episode kicks off with some stand-up discussing payphones. So the payphone aspect of this, kids won't get it. Kids won't understand <laughs> yeah. it. It, it will be, it's very dated now, but it's still someone who grew up in the era where payphones were still a thing. It's very nostalgic, you know? Oh, God. Oh, you're making me feel so old that I'm going <laughs> to... If I ever show this episode to some young person, I'm going to have to explain what payphones were. <laughs> well, I literally... We went to the... Uh, for my... Whose birthday was it? I can't remember. We went to a cafe on my uncle's birthday, Uncle Doug, uh, about two weeks ago. And on Manova Road, up to your house, actually, there's a payphone at the front of the shops. And I literally took Elliot in there and just explained to him what it is. There's a, there's a telephone here. <laughs> and we used to have to put all this money into it in order to just call mum at our house. And if he spoke for more than two minutes, you had to put more money in. It was crazy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he was looking at you like, don't bullshit me, dad. But what, So what was Jerry explaining here with, with the payphone ringing? I, I never experienced this. So he's saying that they call you or something? I think so, yeah. I'm not sure if it was an American thing. I can't. Maybe it's happened in Australia. It probably has with any country that has payphones. But if for some reason you go a bit longer than your money uh, would normally pay for, you, they'll call the the operator or the <laughs> whoever will call you back. Mm. Will call the number back, and if you're still there and you pick it up and say, "You still owe twenty cents for this call," it's like, well, "Good luck trying to catch me." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that's the very. Um, Cliff Snow's version of Jerry's routine here, uh, but I, I actually remember used to, we, as kids we actually got. I don't know how we got it. My friend Josh Fitzpatrick, Fitzy, we called him. He got the phone number of the telephone booth around the corner from my house growing up at the local yeah. little shopping area, Levian Square. So if we called the number, it would literally the payphone would ring, right? Yeah. So we would sit in the on the other side of the road and call it, wait for people to answer the phone, and be like, "What the hell." And we'd pull a phone booth on them. Maybe <laughs> 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 like, like, do not hang up the phone. I am watching you. Oh. And their fucking reactions. Oh. <laughs> you shocking bloke. Oh, oh, terrible. Man. But anyway, so that- yeah. But so, well, actually, so, something that this um, this little snippet of Jerry's stand up uh, at the start. I don't know. It sort of reveals the casual cruelty that's that's in a bit of Seinfeld stand up. Some of what he talks about, he can be a bit of a prick and he can see him at the end of this lording his little bit of power over the operator. You're like, yeah, I got some money here. Yeah, you're not getting it. <laughs> That's a quarter. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's exerting a little bit of pushback and maybe a little payback on the um, on the powers that be. But at the same time, it's like, well, there's probably some poor operator at the end of the phone who has to do this. That's their job. Like, uh, you've wrought at the, you've wrought at the system of 20 cents of its billion dollar income for the year. Come on, give us that 20, please. I mean, when you're Jerry Seinfeld and you're nearly a billionaire, I can understand how and why you could be this way, but he does come across like somebody who is very sure of himself and would only have time for you if he feels like he 
needs to or mm-hmm. can be bothered. Quite possible. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, well, let's just say, it doesn't feel like a very Adam Sandler-esque kind of personality, if that makes any sense. Not exactly a warm and cuddly kind of guy, but yeah, that, I think that's the appeal. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's his thing. That's not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> he's, dude, dude's a genius. Anyway, so they're walking into the restaurant discussing how garbage men and police officers should be combined into one job because they're usually walking around doing nothing. Pick up a broom, <laughs> do some sweeping, go back to solving some crime. They get asked by the maitre d' how many. And Jerry questions, George, uh, is Tatiana coming? And we get the, it's kind of complicated. You're like, okay, well, this is going to lead to something. Do we actually see Tatiana? We never do. We never do. But there's no. so... It's wonderful in this episode how there are just so many little, I guess, time bombs or landmines sort of studded all the way through that will keep you, even if you're not 100% thinking about them, even if they're not front of your mind, they're still there. Like, Jerry's got the thing with his uncle that he he blew off his uncle. That could lead to something. This whole Tatiana situation, Mm -hmm. is this going to pay off? How is this going to pay off? And then there's the woman in the stripes across the restaurant that Jerry can't recognise. Who's she going to be and how's he going to deal with that when that happens? All these little bits. Like we said at the start, you may think that a few people in a room waiting to get food and just being sort of foiled and stymied at every turn wouldn't provide you with much. But uh, Larry David and and Jerry writing the script are like, no, no, there's also this, this, this and this. Keep them in mind. We're not going to necessarily use all of them, but they'll keep you on edge. And when... If and, decide, if and when we decide to use them, it'll pay off. Yeah, it's, it's a, just a beautifully constructed episode. Well, the episode originally didn't have the overriding story of them on their way to a movie. That was something that was added in later on. Mm. But they were, uh, Larry Charles has said that he's glad they did because it had added that ticking time bomb aspect to the, to the episode, which is why... Because otherwise, they were just complaining because they were waiting a long time where at least yeah. adding that to the story, it gives them a reason for wanting it to move faster. They're, they're not just yeah. being impatient. They're like, well, you know, we, we, we're waiting, but fuck, if we just try and hurry up a little bit because we've really got to be somewhere. So it just sort of gives, yeah. gives them an out for being impatient dickheads. <laughs> oh, yeah. Otherwise, you'd be saying, well, just go. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of other restaurants around. Yeah, go to Sky Burger or whatever. But uh, no, they've, they've set everything up in such a way that this is it. <laughs> you know, and if this doesn't happen, it's going to be frustrating. And then you've got that whole sort of sunk cost fallacy thing of you've been here, you've been told five, ten minutes. We've waited five, ten minutes. We're told another five, ten minutes. Uh, but if we leave now, no, that's that's not going to leave us enough time to do this. If we want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so just this constant uh, pressure cooker kind of feeling of, of frustration and indignation and, uh, yeah, and, and as uh, Elaine sort of points out, it almost takes on like a quality of a bad dream, like you're trapped. This is where George wants the phone, but it's being used by the gentleman. Elaine brings up uh, the, the lie to Jerry's uncle, and Jerry explains, you know, I just couldn't pass up the chance to see Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> you know, the worst movie ever made. Have you ever seen Plan 9 from Outer Space? I probably watched it back in the 90s. Okay. It's a movie by a gentleman named Edward D. Wood Jr., Better known as Ed Wood, the uh, the subject of the Johnny Depp Tim Burton movie. I think that did a lot of good for Ed Wood. I think that sort of refurbished um, his image a little bit because yeah, for a long time he was known as just oh god, he made these terrible movies, low budget kind of things. They had no finesse, no style, or whatever. And then yeah, this movie's made about him. It's like oh well, he had no talent, but he had a vision and he had drive and all that kind of stuff. And people started to review Edward Ed Wood's movies in a different way. They're like. 
wow, this guy was really working with nothing. And in some of his other movies, it's like, wow, you can, you know, really see that this guy had ideas and obsessions, even if he couldn't bring them to the screen properly, even if he wasn't that great a storyteller or a technician. He, he just... <laughs> He wouldn't give up, and good on him for that. Uh, having said that, yes, I did watch a bit of Plan 9 from Outer Space and go, this is better to talk about than to watch. Okay. <laughs> or you have to, you, I think you have to be pretty drunk or under the influence of maybe other things to enjoy it fully, let's say. So we get here, Elaine saying she wants a menu so she can at least plan what she wants so they can be ready to order when they get the table. Joe says he can't, he can only read the menu when he's at the table because everything has to be just so for him and he has this little smirk in his face when she says that but that's such an interesting character trait he's very particular Jerry when it comes to things like that George is so neurotic and oh, yeah. he can snap at any drop of the hat Jerry throughout this whole episode tends to be the one who's cool calm and collected but he just has these little traits that are so bizarre I can see Jerry being the type of person who would also you know, separate he, the food on his plate and eat everything in a particular order, that kind of thing, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about about George there as well. I like how in this episode, George, and I think he speaks for a lot of people in the world, can take a little niggle, like someone just spending a bit too long on the phone, on a public phone, and turn it into, or just blow it up into an illustration of everything that's wrong with the world. Yes, It's, it's like when you... I may be driving on a freeway or something and someone is in the overtaking lane and just is sitting on like 98. This lane's for passing. Why don't you move over into the next lane and I can get past? <laughs> ah, and why are people like this? It's like, well, no, that person is like this. This person's a dickhead who shouldn't be on the road. Ah, no, people are like this. So, um, yeah, I'm very like George in that. And I love how... Yeah, he just was getting more and more worked up <laughs> over this very um, innocuous-seeming thing of just this dude who... It's not like it's one of those red phones where it's like, no, no, emergency, I need to call the cops on this one. It's like, no, no, he's probably just talking to his girlfriend or something. Like, oh, I'm just waiting for dinner. I wonder to hear your voice. Da, 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 da. It which would be very annoying, but still, this guy's using the phone, just like you want to use the phone, mate, so just calm down. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, I just like the way that he kept interrupting... Jerry and Elaine's conversation with his own issues and that's oh, like yeah. mate no one cares just go calm down it's alright mate you'll be fine but then we realise there's the whole Tatiana thing it's kind of important that he does get in touch with her and speak with her I also loved the way that Jerry says well you could have eaten at my house I offered you food you offered me health cakes or whatever it was <laughs> rice cakes whatever they're disgusting I'm not going to eat that kind of thing and, and that is true I do hate that but then uh, you know George what kind of world are we living in and Jerry notices the, the familiar woman over what was her name in the end Lorraine yeah Lorraine Lorraine over t- chatting chatting in the restaurant already then we get the group they walk in and they walk straight past everybody and straight to a table I just can't believe the way people are what is it with humanity what kind of a world do we live in there's nothing really happening, but still, it's just so funny. Oh, Jerry then asks the waiter, like, why do those people go in first? And that the big conversation, the very rude conversation in front of Jerry whispering to each other, oh, they were here before. It's like, yeah. they clearly weren't. We watched them walk in the door, buddy. Although, does the woman actually say anything? I can't recall her saying anything. I thought that, um, that the maid of D or the owner was just talking to her, and she doesn't say a word, and then he's... Then, the owner says to Jerry, oh, no, 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 they're coming in earlier or something like that. Like, How did you know that? You know, she didn't tell you that. I thought she, I thought, I thought she did whisper. Okay, oh, okay. Maybe, oh. I, maybe I just assumed. Maybe I assumed. <laughs> no, look, we, 
One of us one of us is correct, one of us is not. It's probably not me. I'm probably incorrect. <laughs> Turns out we're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, uh, she, she points out, do you ever notice how happy people are when they get chosen? <laughs> it's really, it's really getting to her that you know that she's that she's not in there. She wants to, she wants to be in. She wants to feel like it's like when you're waiting in line at the nightclub. You, you're out in line. You feel like you're not worthy. Once you're in, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm the king of this place. <laughs> also, as Joey points out later on, it's like you're not yourself when you're hungry. Yeah, it's, it's true. When you're hungry and you're waiting for your food, everything feels like it's taking forever. It's like when you stand and you're looking at a microwave. Two minutes mm. in the microwave feels like ten. Hence, hence the old expression, Dana, the watch pot never boils. You also just feel great when you see the wait staff bringing you your food or you sort of tweet like, that's mine. I, I, could- I, ordered, that. <laughs> I ordered that. They come in this way. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I hate? So I hate it when <laughs> you see the food and it's what you ordered. They're coming towards you, but then the dickhead down the table next to you ordered the same food. You're like, oh, no. I was so excited there. <laughs> but do you also... When you notice that your food's coming, do you try and play it cool and try to pretend like you don't want the waiter to know that you've noticed it and go, oh, yeah, that's my thing? No, no, I'm, or, u- I'm usually... Well, I, I, do, I do that. I, I'm, I'm real weird. I don't like to sort of sit at the table and go, yeah, it's bigger to be, bigger to be, bigger to be. I, I, want to, I just sort of pretend like I didn't notice them. It's a funny, it's a funny thing for me. I just don't <laughs> like... I try to pretend like I didn't notice them. It's weird. <laughs> well, I'm not like a cartoon cat going or a cartoon dog going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like... Looks like you're coming my way. Here's a little smile for you. Oh, great. Thank you. And then on those rare occasions, all those occasions, when it doesn't happen, you just sort of left there like a clown. It's like, oh, I was smiling at you and you gave food to someone else. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, George then tries to get the attention of the guy on the phone once again. It doesn't happen. So he asks Jerry if he's got his back. Anything happens here, can I count on you? <laughs> if we decide to go at it. Yeah, I want to get into a rumble to get in touch with Tatiana. And look at his little outfit. It's also coordinated. The little socks match the little shirt. I really hate this guy. He hates the way that his socks and shirt coordinate. Like it's, George is just angry with the world. Have you never had that? Just like a rational dislike for someone who has gotten your goat, as they say, for no particular reason. For some tiny or even imagined slight... And then you look at them and it's like, yeah, everything about you is wrong. This person could have like terribly uncoordinated clothes and George would hate that. This person has beautifully coordinated clothes right down to their socks. George hates that. So it's like, yeah, you're just the worst individual in the world. And the way that you've just coordinated your clothing, oh God, you're so bloody regimented and anal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, get stuffed. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And it's so tr- it's so true to life. It's usually that way for me when I'm watching football and a player on the other team does something and I'm like, look at his face. You just want to smack it. Look at the way he's pointed to the crowd. Look at the way he's celebrating. What a, what a wanker. And you never can tell. It's like that, that player's little brother at home that week may have like fallen off a ladder and broken his leg and footy player's gone home and said, I'm going to score the first goal for you, mate. Oh, thanks, big bro. And you- then he goes and does it, and he does a bit of a celebratory, yeah. It's like, well, that guy's a wanker. It's like, no, no, he was just doing something nice for his little bro. No, it's not fair that people are seated first come, first served. It should be based on who's hungriest. <laughs> I just thought, though, that when she goes over there, I thought she was, like, imagining her conversation in her mind because her mouth was not moving at all. Yeah. She's trying to do the ventriloquist thing of speaking like that, but, yeah, I, 
the way the audio was, I on yeah, it really sounded like it was in her head, and she was just trying to make these people understand by telepathy or something like. Yeah, I was confused by it. But yeah. yeah, one thing that I really dug though before before she goes over to uh, yes <laughs> attempt to take the egg roll was just how tickled they all were by this idea by this bet. Every they all seemed very much on the same wavelength. They were all just terribly amused by by the idea of one of them going over doing this invasive kind of thing. Jerry justifying by saying, you'll give him a great story. And honestly, I think it would be a fun story if you and your mates were at a Chinese restaurant or any restaurant one night and some come, someone came over, some stranger, just plucked a bread roll off your, um, off your out of the basket or took a fry off your plate and said, thanks, and walked off and you never saw them again. You'd be talking about that 10 years down the line. You'd, you'd get together with those friends you had dinner with <laughs> years later and say, Remember that night we were at the restaurant? That guy just came up and took a bloody chip off your plate. What? What happened there? You know. So, yeah, I understand where Jerry's coming from, but the fact that they were also they were like a little circle of, um, of cheeky kids. And it, it shows that these people occasionally get on each other's nerves. They get on each other's nerves a lot, but there's really something that unites them. They, well, they are very immature adults. They are like little kids living in grown-up grown bodies for, for most of the show. The mm. way they behave, we've always said... What these people do and what they say is what we think and what we wish we could do, but we know that's not the right thing to do, which is why we love watching the show because they do everything and say everything we wish we could. <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, but the two men who are standing behind me are going to give me 50 bucks if I stand here and eat one of your egg rolls. I'll give you 25 if you let me do it. One of the voices yelling out there was actually Larry David. <laughs> yeah, because one one voice was a bit more prominent than the others. I wish I'd written it down what they were saying because it sounded like like some old guy from The Simpsons. Like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what does she say? What, what, what does she say? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that real, what? What? <laughs> so, like, yeah, very funny. Joe then points out that the phone is free, but the woman takes it instead, and we get the really mean comment you mentioned earlier of the, if you were here first, you'd be holding the phone right now, which was just brutal. Oh. That's, that's um, yeah, not fair at all. Yeah. This is what makes George just lose his mind. You know, we're living in a society. <laughs> we're supposed to act in a civilized way. He's like the early incarnation of the Joker. He's like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, you know, this world, no one cares, no one's polite, no, no, no one ever is willing to own up for their own sort of uh, issues or anything. The guy walks past, hey, sorry about being too, so long on the phone. Yeah, don't worry about it, it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's such a... <laughs> it's like watching an awesome card trick or like an excellent karate move. If you, you know, say you're watching like a martial arts exhibition and some little guy just comes along and does a really cool flip on... Wow, neat! I <laughs> know, oh, just a just a, a a beautiful, unexpected little moment. A really cool little thing here, which is something that I've done before. Elaine's like, "Well, I'm going to go look around at different meals and see what the food looks like." I do that. I don't walk around the restaurant, but I very often just look when I'm looking at the menu. Just look around, see what everyone's got on their on their plates, and be like, "Oh, that does look mm-hmm. pretty good. I might order that." So, just the fact that she's going to pass some time by walking around, just checking out the meals. Makes sense, it's realistic, and I just thought it was a nice little way yeah. of getting her out of the room. 
Oh, yeah, it's, it's a good way to uh, yeah to break up the uh, the visual not monotony of the of the situation, but yeah, this, yeah, you're absolutely right to um, shake things up a little bit. Yeah, because this next scene we needed just and, and, we, needed, we, we need to we, yeah. we needed her away for this next scene where Jerry and George are discussing the Tatiana situation. So that was a good way to just get her away for a moment. So George tells here about how he needed to poop in the midst of mm-hmm. lovemaking with Tatiana, and uh, <laughs> I think what summed up this whole scene was Jerry when he goes. This could only happen to you. <laughs> well, it's like I put down here, how would you handle something like this? George, I think, I don't think he does the worst thing. I think he probably does what he views as the best possible thing. Because did he say he needs to go take care of business before he starts taking care of business? Does he realise when he's sort of in the midst, so to speak, that it's like, uh-oh, it's time to, time to go. Yeah, he's pro-dogging. But it's like... Yeah, he, so... But the, the, the thing is, though, that he might have been able to go and do it if the toilet wasn't right next to the bedroom like that. That's where he goes... I know. That, that, that's, the, that's the situation. I can actually understand, George, here, why he did what he did. It was the first time ever, but you don't want to be doing that in front of them. For me, one thing I always dread is anyone hearing me doing a number two. I hate it. Oh, yeah. Oh, we've we've spoken about this on in the past, absolutely. Yeah, there's a... Uh... On, on the show, by the way, this is not what Dando and I talk about when the mics aren't running. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, in the empty work bathroom, for instance, and you know, and you can know that someone's coming, and that they, you're not the person behind the door. They they don't know that you're there. Even then, I'm still kind of oh, better keep it quiet. <laughs> don't want anybody to hear this. <laughs> You get all paranoid. You start thinking, oh, this person's going to go outside and they're going to start talking to their mates and like, oh, I heard this really, you know, <laughs> heard some fireworks explosions in the bathroom. Who do you reckon it was? Who, who, who do you think's in there now? And then they start you know, talking about it and logically deduce that it's you. And then they look the at you strangely bit. when you come out. It's like, <laughs> they're probably not thinking this at all. <laughs> <laughs> probably don't care at all. Elaine, you know, she hates this place because she's had to wait for so long. She then tells the story of the first time you go out for dinner with your parents. It's actually a nice little story she tells here. Mm. Someone you've never met before, they're bringing this nice plate. It's all very exciting. You've never been here. And now I just feel like a sweaty hog waiting for the <laughs> trough to be filled. <laughs> George then finally gets the phone. Unfortunately, Tatiana doesn't answer, which we find out later on. Elaine then tells Jerry to go, go talk to the guy. Go talk to the man at D. See if we can make something happen. Meanwhile, Mr. Cohen walks in. Absolute douchebag. But I thought that, mm. oh no, Mr. Cohen, he always here. <laughs> Very nice man. Lives on Park Avenue. Oh. This is where we get the Elaine meltdown. And oh, mate, just uh, Julia is just so great in this moment. Where am I? What is happening? <laughs> I just love that. So great. Hey! What stinks in here? <laughs> Mr. Cohen, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Well, I've been looking for a better place. <laughs> better place? <laughs> want, a, want a table? No. Oh. Just bring me a plate and I'll eat here. <laughs> bring him a plate and you eat here? <laughs> Come on, I'll get you a table. <laughs> Excuse me. We've been waiting here. Now, I know we were ahead of that guy. He just came in. Oh, no, Mr. Cohen, always here. He's always here? What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, Mr. Cohen, very nice man. He live on Park Avenue. 
Where am I? Is this a dream? What in God's name is going on here? Then Tatiana, George explains how she'd already left, so he got the um, the voicemail. He left the message to call the restaurant uh, when, she, when she gets the message. Then the familiar woman finally walks in, and Jerry has absolutely no idea who she is. And we've all been here. We were talking to somebody, oh, yeah. and we're trying our best to work out who it is, but we just cannot do it. Thankfully, Elaine thinks quick on her feet, introduces herself. Jerry finally gets the name, but unfortunately, this now means he's alibi is fucked because she is the uh, mm. assistant or the secretary of his uncle. Plus, at the very start, when he has the uh, conversation with Lorraine before he knows her name, a very Joey-esque, how you doing? <laughs> out, yeah, of that, true, out of Jerry's yeah. mouth. Yep, yep, yep. But he didn't mean it in the Joey way, that's for damn sure. <laughs> he did not, absolutely not. But uh, a lot of emphasis on the how you doing. Yeah, so. But it was, that, yeah, like I said, we've all been there where you just, it's like, I know you. I've definitely shaken your hand before, but I never made the effort to learn your name and I'm so sorry. And it's worse when they know your name. Have you ever been in a situation where you know they don't know your name and you don't know their name, but you know that you know each other? <laughs> I'm trying to recall if that's the case. I've certainly been in situations where like, I'm sorry, I know I know you, but it's just slipping my mind right now. And the minute you say your name, I'm going to, it's all going to have to, I'll have total recall. Please tell me your name. <laughs> and you've just got to, be, you've got to really fall on the sword with that one and say, look, I'm sorry, I'm such an idiot. This makes me a terrible person. I hope you forgive me, but remind me of your name again. <laughs> Have you ever spoken to somebody and known, like, 10 seconds in, this motherfucker doesn't know my name? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's happened. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to remember exactly how and how it made me feel. Uh, I was probably like, what? You don't know Guy Davis? Come on, man. <laughs> is, is that what happens when you interview somebody for a second time? Do you just expect them or think they're going to know you or remember you? Oh, no. God knows. I mean, people that I used to interview, oh, certainly there were some who remembered. And uh, look, uh, maybe I am deluding myself. And I'm sorry, again, hard hats on, folks, because I'm going to drop a name or two here. But um, there was a a time, maybe about a decade or so ago, when Will Ferrell came out to Australia to promote, um, well, a few films in a row. Blades of Glory, was Um, it? He definitely did old school and... Step Brothers. Fuck that was fuck that was like two thousand. Oh, okay. Well, when was Step Brothers? Two thousand and nine. Yeah, eight. Two thousand eight. Okay, yeah. Maybe so. About yeah. But there was a time I think Ferrell was out like a couple of years in a row, and I interviewed him both times he was out. And maybe I'm deluding myself, but um, this is a really naff thing that I do. But any time of interviewing someone from a, for a second time, it could be the biggest star in the world. I won't say nice to meet you for the second time. I'll say good to see you. <laughs> you know, just uh, on the off chance I'll be like, eh, okay, then we've done this before. And I get the feeling Will Ferrell, we, I, I don't know, he looked at me? <laughs> Will Ferrell looked at you. <laughs> <laughs> the Ferrell looked at you? <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> That's cool. So the, the entire interview is just like, what is this guy's name? Not realising <laughs> not realizing he's already said your name. <laughs> That is correct. <laughs> but this is where Jerry explains, you have no idea the chain reaction of phone calls this is going to set off once she tells my uncle that I wasn't actually uh, sick. It's like the Bermuda Triangle, except the problem is nobody disappears. Then he starts listing off all the people who will be calling each other. We go to commercial break, come back. I, very, I really, really enjoyed that gag. Just very, very good stuff. Then Elaine says, you know, what, 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 what do we have to go see the movie for? It's just a movie. And Jerry... We've all got that movie where 
Like for example, Nicola, she'll talk about I don't know. Star- she appreciates Star Wars a bit more now, but she back in the day, what are you talking about? It's just Star Wars, and I'm like, see, it's not just <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> it is Star Wars, not just Star Wars. Like it, it actually it means something to him. Like you don't understand, Elaine. This is the worst movie ever made. <laughs> this is the only chance I might ever get to see it at the at the movies. I must do this. So Elaine says, "Fine, well let's let's slip the guy some money." But George, you know, he thinks $20 is excessive. That's very much George, isn't it? A $20 bribe, which isn't even that much. I've never tried to bribe somebody. I've never had to be. I've never been in a situation where I felt I needed to bribe somebody. Do you think you could do this? Do you think you could pull it off in a way that would be successful? Unlike Elaine here. Yeah, I don't think I could do it. I'm good with like excessive tips at the end. In the off chance, it's like, I may be coming back here. So I want you to remember that... uh, Guy's the one who maybe shook your hand and slipped you a 20. Not that I'd do it that way. That's very naff. But, you know, remember that guy who uh, said, uh, yeah, here's, here's a little something for the effort. <laughs> um, but going up to someone, yeah, I'm terrible at it. I'd be terrible at, like, implying, if you do right by me, I'll do right by you. I'd feel like it wouldn't work. I'd feel terrible at it. <laughs> but just George, $20 It's more than the meal. All right, we'll break it up. Seven, seven, six. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. How else, how else are you going to break it up? Someone's going to have to be a dollar short. Honestly, I'm with George on this. I did feel that twenty bucks was going to be excessive. Well, twenty dollars is like it's like twenty five thirty here. It's a, it's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about nineteen ninety one dollars here. That's true. Yep, yep, yep. George, you know, he said he'd get flustered. Jerry uses uh, Elaine's vent, like sort of like own thing against her. Ah, oh, well, you know. The women's movement just can't get past the whole bribery thing, can it? <laughs> She's like, well, I'll show you. So Elaine goes to give the way to the money. And as, as Jerry explains, what a sorry exhibition that was. <laughs> Does, but the, just make the maitre d' just like takes the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just love these little running bits that he's got, though, that aren't necessarily funny on the face of them. But uh, yeah, but James Hong is just able to spin into gold. The whole your name kind of thing. It's it's like that bit in Dude, Where's My Car? Where they're going for the drive. Yes. And, like, and then, no, and then. But, <laughs> uh, but just, your name. He's, he's not necessarily putting a whole lot of spin on him. He's just doing some really great deadpan work. So, yeah, I love that. And, yeah, this whole, the whole interaction between him and Elaine was uh, yeah, just uh, beautifully uncomfortable. It's the same with, uh, with Jerry. When he, Jerry tries to get the money back. Oh, relationships are difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can't tell if this guy is just like a master of the psych out <laughs> or if or or if he's genuinely kind of not dense or ignorant, but you know, or just a, a generally nice guy who's like, "Oh yeah, we're talking about relationships now." There's no subtext or no, you know, ulterior motive to this conversation. You don't want your money back. I don't even know what what you're talking about there. <laughs> Yeah, is he playing Jerry for a sucker or is he just being a nice guy? It's it's impossible to tell, which is the genius of the performance. Jerry gets the whole five, ten minutes again, which just sort of sums up, we've gotten nowhere. <laughs> we're, we're where we started from. Mm. And he goes over and says to the guys, um, like, what, what happened? Oh, we'll be better than that five, ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jerry says, maybe, you know, maybe we can eat in the cab or eat in the cinema. Lane's just like, what do you think? What, giant... Big picnic tables at the cinema? That's not going to happen. So she suggests you go to Sky Burger. Meanwhile, during this time, the man of D is yelling out, Cartwright. And right. Oh, that's the, when he's... Okay. You're watching this for the first time and you're like, why 
God's name is this guy yelling at Cartwright. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just so good. I don't see any way we can eat and make this movie. Oh, well, I have to eat. Well, let's just order it to go. We'll eat it in the cab. Eat it in the cab? Chinese food in a cab? We'll eat it in the movie. Well, where do you think you're going? Do you think that they have big picnic tables there? <laughs> well, what do you suggest? I say we leave now, we go to Sky Burger, and we scarf them down. I'm not going to Sky Burger. Besides, it's in the opposite direction. Let's just eat popcorn or something. All right. I can't have popcorn for dinner. Hot dogs. Have to eat. So they have hot dogs there. Oh, movie hot dogs! I'd rather lick the food off the floor. I can't go anyway. I have to wait here for Tatiana's call. Let me just check. Excuse me, I I'm expecting a call. Costanza. Yes, I just got a call. Uh, I yell. Cut right, cut right, just like that. Nobody came up. I hang up. Well, was it for Costanza or? Yes, yes, that's it. Nobody answered. <laughs> was it a woman? Yes, yes. I tell her you're not here. She said curse word. I hang up. <laughs> She called. He yelled Cartwright. I missed her. Who's Cartwright? I'm Cartwright. You're not Cartwright. Of course I'm not Cartwright! What sums that moment there up is Jason Alexander not even saying anything. He's literally speechless. George is actually speechless. <laughs> he walks over, explains it to, to, to Jerry, and then just the, the, the way he said, Of course I'm not Cartwright! <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. But at this point, George and Lana are like, Fuck this, I'm bailing, I'm out of here, it's a waste of my time. And Jerry says, Oh, I might as well go to my uncle's as well. I love that he says, What am I, what am I going to make sarcastic remarks to myself? It's like, That's what you do for a living, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But it is a it is a good thing. But I when you go to a bad movie, that's fine. But if you go to a good movie, shut up and watch the movie. I don't oh, yeah, want to totally. hear your running commentary. I just don't want to hear a word out of your goddamn mouth. <laughs> I've mentioned this time and time again. I, I hate people at the movies who feel it's okay to talk during the trailers. It's not okay. Stop oh, absolutely fucking, not. Put your fucking phone away and watch the trailer or go out there and talk. <laughs> But then we get the uh, the perfect ending to the episode. It's some would say it's cliche, but it's just the the only way this episode could have ended. Seinfeld four. Oh, you, look, you know how it's going to end as soon as they walk out the door. But for twenty minutes and change, it has absolutely earned it, that ending. <laughs> it couldn't end any other way. It ends perfectly. It's it's a great episode. You know what this episode really feels like because it's shot in real time and everything. It feels like you've literally you're sitting in the audience watching it. It feels like you've just gone to watch a live performance. Oh yeah, because there's no other exteriors. This kind of this this episode more so than just about any feels like something that could still to this day simply be performed on stage. I 100% agree with you because you don't have to change locations. There's no different camera. You could just actors on the stage. It's just it feels like you're watching a live play, and I just think it's absolutely brilliant. But before it wraps up, we get the stand up about how hunger will make people do amazing things, and he discusses cannibalism. I did, I did like the, uh, the delivery of, hmm, hmm, who is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, so it starts with stand-up, ends with stand-up, but everything in between is just absolute classic. This is the episode that made me fall in love with Seinfeld without a doubt. I just, I, I can't say enough good things about it. I just, I don't think there's a bad aspect to this episode at all. And I cannot believe that Larry David literally had to put like his career on the line in order to get it made. And NBC just didn't want to make it happen. They thought it was just uninteresting and nothing was happening. But little did they know this was the episode that was going to make people realize what the show actually was. Absolutely. Props to Jerry and to Larry for sticking to their guns and uh, bringing us uh, the Chinese restaurant. How satisfying would it have been for Larry and uh, Jerry to see the response this episode got after all the turmoil it took to just to get it onto the air? Would have been great. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and one would hope they would be generous enough not to sort of rub it in, a, um, you know, the faces of a few suits, but somehow I get the feeling they probably did. <laughs> Subtly. Well, I certainly would have. Ah. All right, before we go, Mr. Davis, we've got a couple of mailbag questions that have come through for the mm-hmm. Chinese restaurant. If you've got some questions for us, send them through to uh, talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. That's talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. doesn't even have to be a question, just going to be a comment about the show. Anything you like, send it through, and we'll get through to answering on the next show. This first question here comes from Steve Sanderson. He says, what's the longest you've ever waited in line for something? Wow, that's a really good question. Um... I once waited six and a half hours to get good seats for the force awakens did you now okay yeah my mate phil and i we waited in, we sort of saved the spot in line for our friends but we, we just went to the, the the midnight screening when it first aired and we got there about 25 past five i remember and we were the second in line um for that for that film and the, obviously it was a midnight screening so we, we literally sat on the floor for six and a half hours waiting for that movie yeah holy shit I don't think I've ever waited that long for a movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure on one of the occasions when I went to Disneyland, I stood in a line for a very, very long time for Mm. one ride or another, something like Space Mountain or whatever. How long it actually was is lost to the the mists of time, but I I do have this faint recollection of like, when are we going to get there? (laughs) Yeah, because... I wasn't a sort of a, a grown and mature and patient adult at that stage. I was a little kid. I was like, I just want to ride Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> My limit for waiting for a ride when we were in America was 90 minutes. If it's more than 90 minutes, it, it just ain't happening. I'll never forget when we walked past the Skull Island ride, the Kong Skull Island, the wait time was nearly four hours. I was oh like, man! What is this madness? Why it's the ride's not even that good? Why would you wait four hours, like a, half of your day, for one ride? It's just not yeah. worth it. I I couldn't recommend enough people. If you're going to a theme park in America, in particular, because there's so many people, get those fast passes. You need them. Fast pass. Yes, do that. Okay. Final question here from Christine Parsons. She says. If you or a guy, hey Dando, if you or a guy were going to a Chinese restaurant, what is your main food of choice? Ooh. Uh, look, I'm very partial to a delightful spring roll. Yeah, they're a good starter, aren't they? They are a terrific starter. Uh, look, this is very basic. I'll be, but lemon chicken. If you do lemon chicken right, then you're A-OK by me. I'm a honey chicken guy. I don't really like lemon as, as just as a taste. But I can, I can understand because honey chicken and lemon chicken are very similar in how they're made, just obviously different tastes of the sauce. But I do love, there's actually a Chinese, it's called, actually called a hot chicken shop down the road here and in Robin Avenue in Norlane here in Geelong. Mm-hmm. It's just called, I think it's called like Norlane Charcoal Chicken or something, but they do fried rice as well. And it is incredible. What they do great is these, they call them chicken balls and batter. 
right? So it's yeah. basically what you would get with lemon chicken or honey chicken, just without the sauce on it, but they're in little bowls. And oh. they are de fucking licious. They are the best thing ever. Them like whenever, whenever we get fried rice from there, we get the Chinese the chicken balls and batter. They are to die for. They are amazing. Because all this talk about the Chinese restaurant has made me think that I'm having Chinese for dinner tonight. Oh, dude, get Norland charcoal chicken. It's unbelievable. Their fried rice is the best. Okay, I will definitely go and. Uh, I, I think I might have to go and get that. Yes, that's that's the way. Yeah, uh, you definitely have to. They they. Do roast meats? They do everything there. It's, it's so great. It's unbelievable. Where you'll, is it? Is that- you will not regret it. <laughs> it's in Norlane here. So uh, sorry for the listeners out here, local reference. But in Norlane, it's just called Norlane Charcoal Chicken on Robin Avenue, basically the other end of Thompson Road. Oh, okay. So I've got to go way down the other end of Thompson's Road. Oh, it takes you from your house. It would take you ten minutes to get there if that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not far. But- yeah, it's not far. Yeah, so just go to Thompson Road and go all the way to. The, it's the last right before you get to Cox Road. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. All right. There you, there you have it, listeners. What? That's how you get to the Norland Charcoal Chicken. <laughs> after, after this, I expect a free bloody serve of chicken <laughs> for all this free advertising. Uh, what's What's their regular chicken like? Is it good? Well, I've never actually had just a chicken meal from there. I've always just, I go there for my fried rice and my chicken balls and batter. And their chips there too are amazing as well. I don't know how they do it. It's just, it's so good. And they're very, what I like about it too is they're very efficient. They're very, you order, they're like, all right, are we ready in five minutes? And it's okay. fucking ready in five minutes. It's so good. Hmm. Okay, then. Hmm. Looks like I'm going there tonight. <laughs> yes, sounds good. And on the next episode, you can tell us your review of Norway Charcoal Chicken. <laughs> it's like I was waiting there for five, ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that five, ten minutes. Mm. You get in there. Cartwright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please make sure you order your food for Cartwright. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> All right, guys, that is our review of the Chinese restaurant. Hope you enjoyed it. The next episode, Mr. Davis, is going to be The Bus Boy, which is the finale of season two. Whoa. What a long, strange trip it's been. But we've made it. We finally got through season one and two. I always sort of lump season one and two together as a whole because that's how they came with the DVD set. And season one only had five episodes. So season two finally going to be wrapped up in the next episode, The Bus Boy. Another really, really funny episode. Don't forget, guys, to rate and review us in the iTunes store. Check us five stars. Leave a few kind words. And also... Uh, make sure you send in your questions or any comments to talkingcypher at gmail.com. And if you want to get this early access to this show, as well as access to a bunch of other exclusive podcasts and early access to all of our other podcasts we do here on the Four Finger Discount Network, which includes our Simpsons podcast, Four Finger Discount. We've got going down to South Park. I'll do a show with my wife uh, discussing friends called The One About Friends and much, much more. We also do movie reviews. You can all be found at patreon.com slash discount for as little as $1 per month. And on top of all the exclusive podcasts you get, you also get access into the exclusive Facebook group where Guy and myself are on there each and every day, bantering with our fellow patrons. And you get access into a bunch of other competitions, prize draws, and much, much more Zoom calls. It's just so much content available. Just by going to patreon.com slash discount. I'll chuck the link in the description of this podcast. But this is Talking Sci-Fi. I hope you've enjoyed our review of the Chinese restaurant, one of my favorite episodes of all time. Next episode is The Bus Boy. Mr. Davis, any final words for our incredible listeners? I'm counting your shrimps. <laughs>